In the year 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius, a dormant volcano, erupted with explosive force and completely covered a nearby Roman city called Pompeii under 20 feet of volcanic ash. And you can actually see the final moments of Pompeii's residents because the ash actually preserved their bodies for 2,000 years until today. And you can see them curled up on the floor, running away, hugging loved ones. It's a haunting image of these final moments when these people realize that their destruction is inevitable. There is no turning back, and their faces are preserved in a graveyard of ashes. This is kind of like Judah's plight during Zephaniah's ministry. Judah's sin is so grievous that God's judgment is inevitable. His wrath, his historical uh, destruction is heading towards Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and there is nothing they can do to stop it. And Zephaniah comes to alert Judah of their fate, but he also provides a glimpse of hope beyond the rubble, that this is not the end of God's dealing with his people, even though temporarily they will face consequences. But there is a hope beyond destruction. There is salvation that will come through judgment. This is Understanding Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1 describes God's judgment against Jerusalem in vivid detail. Now in Zephaniah chapter 2, we see a continuation of that description of judgment. And this day of judgment is also known as God's day of the Lord, which we've talked about many times in this series. The day of the Lord can refer to God's historic judgments in time or his future final judgment at the end of time. And they're both related to each other. His judgments within history are a foreshadowing of his final judgment at the end of history, at the end of this age of history. So Zephaniah 2 is talking about this day of the Lord, and he commands Judah to humble themselves as a kind of last-ditch effort to evade destruction. This is Zephaniah chapter 2. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites! The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures, with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. 
This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down, each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts. Even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Zephaniah chapter 2 can be broken down based on three imperatives that we see. Gather, seek, and woe. Gather, seek, and woe. So let's look at gather, the command that Zephaniah gives on behalf of God for God's people to gather. So God commands Judah to gather in solemn repentance in preparation for his judgment. So Judah has been falling into sin, into idolatry, into syncretism, mixing the true religion of God with pagan worship, and just plain apathy, not caring at all about whether God will bless or curse them. And because of this, God is saying, I want you to gather together. But this time it's not to celebrate a festival like you usually do or to worship like you usually do whenever Israel is gathered together. Rather, this time Judah is to gather to prepare for judgment. Judah is called a shameless nation that will be gathered up like straw to be burned by God's wrath. So this is a striking reversal. The holy nation of God is now shameful. And they don't even care about the fact that they're living unholy lives, that they're turning away from worshiping the true God. They've become utterly shameless. Now, this leads to the second word that we see in verse 3, seek. So not only should Judah gather, but they must also seek. God calls his people to seek him by seeking righteousness and humility. So God doesn't owe anybody mercy. But Zephaniah still calls Judah to have a change of heart, to seek righteousness, justice, humility, true worship of God, because God may relent from disaster. And you can see this word, perhaps. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So he's saying to all of Judah, if some of you just repent and say, Lord, we're going to seek righteousness, we're going to be humble, we're going to worship you, we're going to turn away from these false gods, then maybe God will show kindness to you. But it's very important to see that God doesn't owe it. That us doing good things, us even having a change of heart, doesn't put God in our debt. That God is the one who determines what happens. And yet there is this hope of God's mercy, that, that even though he's not obligated to show mercy, that he might if Judah genuinely shows a change of heart. Now, this is all part of God's discipline. We should never presume upon the grace of God. We should never think that, oh, it's God's job to forgive me and to be nice to me and all this stuff, no matter what I do. No, God is a loving father and he will discipline his children. He might even break our bones like he did for David in Psalm 51, when David, under the weight of his sin against God, when he uh, sleeps with Bathsheba and kills Uriah the Hittite, you can see that, that 
the uh, the conviction and and the the sense of guilt is eating away at him that he feels that God has broken his bones and disciplined him harshly and yet David views this as an opportunity to turn back to the Lord an opportunity to change his ways and in a larger scale we see that that opportunity is given to Judah and to Israel that they're eventually going to be destroyed they're going to be exiled into Babylon but even that exile is a precursor to God's redemption, that it is a temporary discipline so that Israel might be renewed, so that as they face the consequences of their sins, it might actually prompt them to return to the Lord. It might prompt them to actually remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So God is merciful, but he will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. And yet there is still this sense that Zephaniah has that the Lord is gracious and Maybe, maybe if we just turn around, he will relent. But if he doesn't choose to do that, no injustice is done because mercy is not owed from God to anyone. Now, this concept of reaping and sowing fills the remainder of this chapter. So uh, God pronounces a series of woes, and woe is the third kind of command or call that God gives. He says, gather, and then he says, seek me, and then he pronounces woes, judgments, curses against his own people. And all of these, again, are are, uh, elaborations or expressions of that principle, you reap what you sow. So you can see this description. God is is described as, as trampling through Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron. Now, these are four major Philistine cities. Remember, the Philistines are the perennial enemies of uh, Judah and the Israelites. You can see them constantly attacking the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. So these four cities are around Jerusalem, around Judah, and they're on the way to Judah. So uh, God is trampling through them, and the destruction of these Philistine cities is so complete that shepherds and flocks are able to roam freely. I mean, it's just leveled. There's no cities There's no homes. It's just flat ground where animals can roam freely. And you see God's justice continues. It it sweeps from Moab to the Ammonites and to the Cushites and finally to Nineveh. So he's doing the grand tour of judgments of pagan nations around Judah. And the final stop is Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria. Now, Nineveh should remind you of the book of Jonah because Nineveh is a city that Jonah eventually made his way to, and he preached a message saying, God's going to judge your nation. Uh, And amazingly, upon hearing that message, that warning, uh, the entire nation of Nineveh, or the entire uh, city of Nineveh, repents, and God relents of disaster. But it looks like the message didn't stick, and they're back to their old ways. And so God is once again going to bring destruction and judgment upon them. And this actually refers to a real historical reality because Nineveh did eventually fall and the Assyrian Empire did eventually dismantle itself. But all of these cities and their corresponding nations have this one thing in common. The word of the Lord is against them. The word of God stands against their nations. And this is a reference to the message of the prophets and to the written law of God, that the prophets themselves not only condemn Israel of their sin, but also they condemn the world of their idolatry and of their turning away from God and of their injustice and their wickedness. So Zephaniah's ministry, although it is focused on Judah and her sins, 
does not end with Judah, but extends to all the nations. All the nations of the world must fear the wrath of God. And the point that Zephaniah wants to get across the most is this. Judah should prepare for the same kind of judgment that they see around them. They are the exultant city. They live in luxury, and they assume that God's not going to judge them or harm them at all, despite seeing the destruction of the surrounding nations. And Zephaniah is warning them, look, you guys are going to be desolate and humiliated before the world. God holds all people to account, and especially his own people. You can see this in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, when, you know, meek and mild Jesus is inspecting his churches, and he threatens to remove their lampstands. He threatens to judge them. He threatens to remove their status as his representatives if they continue in unholiness. So don't think that just because you go to a church or you live in Christian subculture and do Christian things that God will overlook your sin or that he won't see your hypocrisy. You will reap what you sow. But thankfully, Zephaniah is not all doom and gloom. He actually gives hope to his people. And he gives this hope that there's going to be a reversal, that the, the wealth of the nations, the seacoasts of the Philistines, all of these glorious things that the nations of the world possess are one day going to belong to the remnant of Judah. Now, the word remnant is all over the Old Testament and refers to the faithful Israelites who remain after God's act of judgment. So even though the righteous and the unrighteous in Jerusalem are going to face the same consequences, the righteous ones will make it through that time of testing and judgment, and then they will be blessed for their endurance. And this is something very important in the theology of the Old Testament. God promises that he's going to be mindful of the remnant and restore their fortunes. That's verse 7. Even though Jerusalem is destroyed, even though the temple is in shambles, God is not done with his people. And God's going to actually give the spoils of Moab and the Ammonites and all the nations that mocked Israel. He's going to take all of their glory and give it to Israel. God's going to crush the false gods of the nations. And they're all going to bow down before him, the nations. And that's a hint of a major theme in Zephaniah chapter 3, how God's judgment actually purifies Jerusalem and creates a multinational people of God. So there are little hints, little breadcrumbs of the work that God is going to accomplish in Christ and his church by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But it's just in seed form right now. But to summarize, judgment is coming for Judah. And if they repent, God may relent of his judgment. But regardless of whether God relents of his destruction of Jerusalem, God's purposes for Jerusalem and God's people will continue. That there will be a hope through the fire of judgment. That there will be a new beginning, a new covenant that will come, that will bring peace, restoration, and salvation to his people.